Episode 654, Wednesday, January 5th, 2022, the second episode of this year. Um, and Dr. Steve, is it Kibi? Kibi, yeah. Kibi. Dr. McCullough uh, advised me. He said, I think you should have this guy on. So obviously we set it up. We talked last night a little bit on the phone. And um, could you just, for everyone listening, could you just give a brief description of yourself and you know what you do in medicine? Because as I said to you last night on the phone, the reason why I have on so many physicians is because I'm not a doctor. So if I'm going to talk about these topics, I have on, I've had on guys that worked on nuclear submarines. I failed physics, so I bring on them if I want to talk about nuclear submarines. So I try to have so just for laying the I guess the groundworks for your credibility from the outright for people that oh Tommy what do you know you're not a doctor could you please tell everyone what your profession is you know what exactly you do in it and all just your credentials. Yeah, so so I am a general pediatrician. I've been a uh, general pediatrician for 33 years, um, just a clinical clinical guy, taking care of patients every day. And um, I also have done, um, oh, in the past four or five years, I've, I've been a principal investigator and a sub-investigator on uh, multiple vaccine trials, um, including the flu vaccine, cholera, the meningitis vaccines, and just to name a few. So um, that's what I do. Um, my my life is uh, not all medicine. I got I have a wonderful wife and eleven children and about twenty five grandchildren. So it's uh, pretty rich, pretty rich where I'm at. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. And you write music, and I will put that into the description. We talked about that last night. I will put that in the description. He is on Spotify. I followed him. Go follow him. And uh, let's get that rolling, because like you said, that's where your passion also lies. And I do hope you put more time into that. Um, so we kind of talked last night about, well, we really kind of went over what the podcast yesterday was about, the mass formation psychosis. But so as not to sort of beat that to death, you you talked about the sort of the, as I just say, let's not beat it to death. Now I'm going to jump immediately into it. You talked about how we've never seen anything like this, especially in pediatrics. And you've you've asked you know other colleagues or professional acquaintance acquaintances, you know what are we doing? We we don't have any long term data on this. The the children are have the lowest uh, at risk rate for COVID or fatalities, and these uh, these vaccines obviously do. I mean, it's not normal to be causing heart attacks in five and six year olds. What have you seen in your, because again, I can speculate wildly and I've probably been guilty of spreading misinformation or fake news, but because I have someone like you on here, what have you seen that is sort of making the, the spidey senses go off or the hairs on the neck going up? What, what have you seen in your, in your experiences that is just so absurd about this, this mass universal vaccination program and Full disclosure for everyone listening, Dr. Kibi is not anti-vax, neither am I. But what exactly have you seen? So, so yeah, let me just expound. And, and you know, from a, from a standpoint of vaccines, um, I have, for the past 33 years, I've been an advocate of vaccine vaccinations. Back when I was, uh, you know, training 30 plus years ago, kids were dying of diseases that we vaccinate for. So there's no doubt in my mind that there are some benefits with with the vaccines. Um, the, the challenge started to come when I was, and again, I was in doing research on these vaccines. Um, the, the challenge came when I started to look at this uh, protocol for this particular vaccine, you know, it became um, very obvious that this was not just the same platform of, of a vaccine that the other ones were in the past. So in other words, the, the, the vaccines, in the, there's a big difference between this vaccine and the vaccines that have been given in the past. And, you know, so these differences became very blatant and obvious to me to, to, to as you said, the hair standing on the back of the head, just, just to start to, to kind of cause me to just flags, red flags were starting to fly up. All right. And, um, 
you know, we as physicians, we're supposed to look at things skeptically and look at studies and so forth. And we just don't generally have time to do that so thoroughly. But this particular one caught my eye and and, um, this particular research project, you know, gave me a greater concern. Why? Well, because all the other vaccines in the past, um, they either used um, a piece, somehow they used a piece of the path pathogen. Either it was a it was a killed parts of a killed virus or bacterium, or it was it was a weakened virus or bacterium. You know, in most cases, weakened virus. So these were when when these would be injected, they would be um, this would be entities that the body could recognize quickly create an immune immune reaction to it, and then um, render this thing harmless or or overwhelm it immediately. The thing about the messenger RNA, the the DNA type, messenger RNA slash DNA type genetic um, sequence vaccines that we're using now in in, in the three main ones that were used in the United States, um, they, what we're doing, we're asking the body uh, with its own machinery to listen to a message. We're injecting a message, a genetic message into the body, and we're telling the body to make this um, spike, spike protein. Now, I started, you know, realize or, or in research found out that there, in fact, even the genetic sequence is not necessarily something that was harvested directly from a, a COVID virus. It was it was it was created as a genetic sequence that would most duplicate this spike protein, uh, the most virulent part of the virus. So, in a sense, what we did was we created a a a, a genetic attempt at a copy. We injected it into the body, and we said, "Okay," to our body, we said, "Now start start manufacturing this protein, which this protein called a spike protein is the most." Um, toxic part of the virus. It's, it's what is causing the, the virus to be pathogenic. And not only that, it's coded. So this particular vaccine and virus is coded in order to, to enable it to, to, to be able to get into the body um, successfully. It is coded by a, by a nanoparticle and a lipid nanoparticle that actually studies are, are showing some great concern that that particular vehicle in itself is is toxic that it actually kind of uh, gets gets at the endothelial cells in the myocardium, and you know we're hearing about those concerns. Okay, so it's a genetic vaccine that's being read by our own body, our own parts, and then we don't know how long this this program is going to be run or copied in our body. Um, I kind of think of it as. Um, as a uh, like a 3D printer, if you if you just gave the 3D printer all the uh, material that it needed, and you put in put in a code for it, but you didn't have a stop on it, it would just keep on running and running and running. Okay, so I just don't. I am greatly concerned because I don't know that anybody knows the stopping point. I mean, in fact, in the early going, I spoke with with some of the research physicians directly in the pharmaceutical companies. And I asked the very question, do you know how long this can last in your body, um, sending this message? And they said, well, we don't know for sure. Okay. So that just kind of creates a, you know, a Pandora's box situation for me. Um, Because we're asking the body to make a virulent protein, uh, a protein that is toxic to our body. And we don't know how long it could go on. And now studies are showing that this is, this is being found, this spike protein is being found in tissues of our body, brain tissue, lung tissue, um, reproductive tissue, the testes, the gonads, you know, that it's um, the circulatory system. So it's just, it's just not, it just didn't just go away like, you know, mission impossible here, here it is. And in five seconds, this is going to self-destruct, right? It's so with that, so let's say I were to get it. I I I didn't get the vaccine. Uh, I have no intention to. I had COVID on my thirtieth birthday, actually uh, August twenty twenty. But regardless, let's say I get it. I'm thirty one. Uh, I'm I'm moderate, but not even not even health important. I'm thirty one. 
I would imagine I'm probably finished developing, right? I mean, don't they think the brain kind of finishes around 25? I think some people might argue the contrary for me, but I think I'm pretty much finished developing. If And, and Dr. McCullough has said that before, uh, you know, an unknown quantity and an unknown duration of the just just spitting out the proteins, right? I mean, just kind of like the, the $1 bills, just, it's just spitting them out. How would that affect uh, a homo sapien who is not fully developed, say a child? Do we have any idea or even any speculation on what that, that, that infinite 3D printer, that protein printer, how will that affect because Dr. McCullough has talked about, you know, we think it might take 18 months for the body to completely wash it out. And if you're getting boosters every six months, you're never actually going to wash it out. Now, what effect could that have? And I'm not sure if this is in your field of expertise or if you could just speculate wildly. What effect could that have, in your opinion or your most educated guess, on on the child's actual ability? Because we, we know it's going to cause problems, right? It's already causing problems. But there's a whole nother level. What could this do to, to individuals developing? Do you have any idea? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess the, the the very quick example that comes to me is 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 marijuana. Okay, sure. so so it's very clear. Studies have been very clear that that if um, if there is someone that is um, addicted to marijuana in in under the age of twenty, say that developmental maturity of the brain somewhere around that 25, 26 year old, it's very clear that there are IQ points that are going to be knocked off by the use of this, by the use of this drug. Okay. So that just tells you, I mean, that's the, you know, and I'm sure if, if, if I tried to look back, there's, there's several examples. Um, the, the bottom line is that we, we do um, historically, we've always done studies with medications um, for children and, and pregnant women and so forth, we, we've, we've tried to look at that and see what are going to be, what are the long-term effects. It took a long time to see what could happen with some, a certain medication or a certain drug. So obviously there's, there's huge cautions in, in medications being used, um, in children with, without, without any type of, um, studies, now that isn't to say that we don't. We do, you know. A lot of times we have we have uh, du- you know dummy down or, or you know used lower doses uh, for children without the benefit of uh, you know in a sense off label usage. Um, so so I'm not here to say that, but I think what we're saying is when we are tampering with a genetic code in a in the body. And we're tampering with a virulent protein that's in the body. Um, we don't know the difference. Okay, when I mean, obviously, when when a baby is in in the womb, there are medications that are much more toxic during that developmental process. And in younger children, the younger children and babies and children, there are drugs that are much more toxic and 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 long can cause long term problems because. It's interrupting some sort of development or causing some havoc in the development. So it's pretty clear, and and so it's just a, it is somewhat of a speculation, but it's based on what we've known all the time. Now, again, in my entirely uneducated 2013 biology degree uh, mindset, could there be, or do you think? That there could be something along the lines of, I mean, does it have an effect on? Uh, let's let's take a step back even further. Instead of a child, what about a, a baby developing in the womb? I mean, we we know fetal alcohol syndrome. We know you can't. Right? It's. I mean, everything is kind of amplified. You know, pregnant women don't touch this, don't do that. Could there be an effect on this? The the constant printing of the spike protein could that inhibit? At an even earlier stage, the correct development of baby. I mean, could the VAERS data system, I believe, last time I checked, said there's been about 3,200 miscarriages that people have reported. Obviously, VAERS is in a perfect system, uh, reported to uh, pregnant women taking the vaccine. Do you think there could be something significant in there? Well, I mean, 
Of course, of yeah, course. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's just like and, duh, yeah, it's duh, kind duh, of a simple. Yeah, is the I, sun I mean, hot? Yeah, is I, the sun hot? Is the sky blue? I mean, yeah. But but we kind of we kind of run into the conundrum that that we're in, and, and it's that that you're right. I'm not I'm not like a microbiologist, sure. or I'm not you know, and, and uh, I don't I don't have huge. I I know, and you know, I as much as a layperson knows that there's there's problems. I mean, why do pregnant women not? Um, you know, have certain, have lunch meat or drink wine or yet, 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 you know, we tell them not to, and yet we're injecting um, a vaccine into them that has never been tested in that, in that population. So, so my big challenge when I talk to my colleagues is just, you know, I, 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 the vaccine in and of itself has shown some benefit to, you know, there's a risk benefit ratio to everything we do in medicine. Every everything. So we sometimes we'll take a you know people take chemotherapy that can be very toxic to the body, but also toxic to the cancer. And so they're going to make they're going to say, listen, I'm going to take the the risk to take this medication for the benefit of what it's going to give me. Uh, Everything's a risk benefit ratio. I'm just having that's just normal, natural the way we do it. Okay, it just doesn't feel like that's what we're doing here. It doesn't feel like we've really looked at it. And, and, and I mean, there's no one that could debate that. Please come and tell me if I'm wrong, because the, the truth is there's not been a study where pregnant women have been um, injected with this vaccine and they followed it up, you know, with long term studies. You know, these ba- we don't know what can happen with these babies. We don't know what can happen with a five year old. Um, you know, this, the studies basically stopped. I mean, people need to understand that the study stopped um, after in the very beginning. And, and there's no safety. When the study stopped, that means when they took the, the, the study um, control groups that didn't get the vaccine, they just vaccinated them all. That just stopped. There, were, there was nothing to compare to that we would have normally in a study. When that stopped, we all, the, we, you and me, and everyone else became the study group. Well, okay, so be it an emergency situation, maybe that it was felt that that was, you know, that was necessary. Well, then what about still studying it? So what about looking at, um, you know, in a study, everybody gets informed consent. People don't just get, get injected or get, take a medication that they don't know what is the potential of a side effect. Okay. And the informed consent when the study was going on, you know, listed many things that could happen, okay, including, you know, very serious allergic reactions, uh, very serious neurologic, very serious circulatory, very serious clotting problems. You know, these were, these were all part of the informed consent that a patient that was going into a study would, would have to decide to get past and say, I'm willing to be a part of the study um, despite the risk. Okay. Well, this has not been given to any patients on this, you know, on the side that, that are getting vaccine vaccinated. Your, our five-year-olds and ten-year-olds, the parents are not getting any type of any type of informed consent. All they are told is this: this vaccine is just like all the other ones. It's safe. It's good, and it's, there's no problem. So that's the that's the front end of the problem. When we stop we stop a study, we stop the informed consent. On the back end. Normally, in every study, we look at the safety data. I mean, when I was doing the studies, every cold, every sniffle, every fever, every every serious reaction was documented um, diligently. And then it was, you know, I had to, you know, with, with great scrutiny, had to look at and, you know, myself and other colleagues had to make the decision, was this, could this possibly been an effect of the drug studied or the vaccine studied or whatever it was? Well, now... There's there is no reporting body. There's no there's no safety body that I'm aware of that is keeping track of the negative outcomes of these vaccines. So if you put A plus B equals C, and I say to my colleague, well, you know, we don't really know what it can do, um, and we haven't studied it very completely. How do you feel pretty? How do you feel good about just giving it, you know, the imprimatur that it's 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 just totally safe? Okay, so that's a big challenge, the safety data. And, and, you know, and you mentioned the VAERS data. That's where people can go and, and look. And the VAERS data is, you know, 
comes out from, you know, presented by the CDC. Um, and that in and of itself, that's a voluntary reporting system. So there is no uh, independent review boards. There's no safety. There's no, there's, there's no OSHA. There's nobody looking at this to make this vaccine accountable. Um, it's just a voluntary system reporting system. And I can tell you the, when it comes to a reporting system, voluntary reporting system like theirs, I mean, I've been doing vaccines for 30 years and I've probably reported none, zero. I don't ever remember reporting a negative reaction to a vaccine. And that wasn't because there weren't negative reactions. It was because because we're just too busy yeah. to, you know, when, when it, we give a chickenpox vaccine and, and the child has a chickenpox reaction to it um, or, or a transient um, reaction, we're not going to we're not going to report all that stuff. Um, now, if, if if there is, you know, certainly a very negative outcome and a direct negative outcome um, that would that would be reported. But it, it's not it's not been the case. We we're, we don't take the time to voluntarily report it. This is on this is on the patient just about to report it to the VAERS because the physicians are not looking at this with an effort to report it. That that just challenges me. It's kind of like at the uh it's kind of like after the last test of the last day in whatever course in college, physics, religions of the world, whatever. <clears throat> the very end, you know, it's like would you know take a take a feedback like test. Like a little feet, you know. How is the professor label one through whatever? But it's all vol- survey. Yeah, it's all voluntary. And you're 21. It's the last day. It's May. You're in Georgia. There's 30,000 beautiful women at your school, and you're chomping at the bit to finish this class. And your buddies are outside with some beer. I'm not taking 10 minutes to to fill in a survey. I'm getting out of there. Now, granted, that's a it's a very generalized and kind of simplified. Uh, analogy or comparison, so it probably isn't a hundred percent correct. But for me, when I look at the VARES data, and I know it's not perfect, I guess I look at, you know, when you look at it now, it has from nineteen ninety until the present day, and you can see everyone knows the the vertical spike. You know, on one side, you say you have people saying, <clears throat> "Oh, that's only you know the Lazarus report from Harvard says that VARES is only what only accounts for one percent of reactions." So you got to multiply everything by a hundred. On the other end, you have people saying, oh, it's not vetted, it's voluntary, anyone can fill it out. And then somewhere in between, you know, and I think, you know, rightful, let's play devil's advocate. You probably are going to have a higher percentage of reporting because it's a it's a it's a pandemic, right? It's a you know, you're probably going to have a higher percentage of students filling out that end of class survey if the professor was arrested for something and it made the news. Right. So we are probably is a high, I would imagine, and I'm saying that, you know, with no evidence to back that up, I would imagine that there probably is a higher percentage of reporting. We're in a pandemic, right? Now, but I look at it and whether it's underreported or overreported, whether it's you need to multiply it by a hundred or divide it by a hundred, whatever it is, to me is it's the, it's the trend itself. It's the relative trend, Right. Whether it's going, oh, back in the day, gasoline was only five cents or, you know, now it's five dollars, but it's all adjusted for inflation. So what I'm getting at is when I look at the VAERS data, whether it's wildly overstated or wildly understated, the relative spike to me is insane. We've never from 1990 to 2020, no one ever brought up that it was voluntary. No one ever brought up it's fake news or misinformation or a far right wing conspiracy. But now, now there is. So to me, it really doesn't matter. The relative spike is insane. But if you bring it up, people just, people just scoff at you. And well, Tommy, I'll tell you, the people that scoff at you is the, the people that haven't seen it personally. Yes, that's the that's the problem. If it's your if it's your kid, if it's your parent, and then it makes a difference. And there's a lot of people where it's their kid or it's their parent that it's happening to. And, and so, you know, you just have to, if you don't want to look at this and that's the problem there, there is, even in the VAERS data, the VAERS, the voluntary data are saying something's not right. And so every one of us as physicians, every one of us as prescribers has to look at that something is not right and actually at least have some sort of healthy skepticism Health, healthy criticism 
healthy critical thinking and say, why? Yeah. Or is it possible? Because, you know, we care a lot about our patients individually and we should care enough. We should care enough to, to look at this data and, 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 and take, listen to it. I think the challenge is, you know, when I would talk to a, um, a colleague about this, they would say, listen, I don't, I don't have time for your conspiracy theories is what, what it would be, would be said. And then, and then say, I don't have, I just am listening to people who are smarter than I am. And furthermore, if I don't advise what the people that are smarter than me are telling me, telling to do, then I'm going against the standard of care. And now we get into this whole, whole situation. Physicians have labored into, into um, not really thinking and using their intuition, but really acting out of fear. We're, we're order, we order tests, we order, do all these things and put patients through, you know, a lot more than is necessary oftentimes because we are afraid to be sued or, or afraid to go against the standard of care. Um, it's, um, yeah, the, yeah, thalidomide is just a conspiracy theory. Opiate addiction, it's just a conspiracy theory. Don't listen to Joseph Lister, that conspiracy theorist, with his whole, you got to sanitize the wound instead of filling it with dirt like the Civil War. All conspiracy theories, right? Don't listen to those anti-leechers. You know, everyone knows a leech is all you need to get the bad out of your body. But, you know, I think about how I, I did I did research. I did research under a professor. I did research in college, not because I liked it or loved it, but be, I kind of liked it, but because I was trying to get into medical school. But there, there was something I loved about it. And what I helped co-author was, it's still stuck in my head, the effects of salinity on nickel toxicity to the two urohaline fish species, Cryptolebius marmoratus and Fungulus heteroclitus. And it was just, it's a really smart way to say, we had a bunch of little fish and we were poisoning them with nickel. And some of the, some of the water solutions had more magnesium. Some had more sodium. Some had which salinity helped it. I was a mass murderer of little fish. I hated it. But what I did like about it was, you know, I, I always loved biology. I loved things. That's, I think that's probably why I, I went into the sciences is I, I loved that concrete, you know, I loved writing. I loved, but I, at the same time, I never, I didn't like things where it was like, what do you think about, all quiet on the Western front or what did Shakespeare mean? It's sure it's the arts. It's beautiful, but there was nothing concrete. I loved physics. I loved biology. I loved chemistry because this happened in the organic chemistry, my favorite class, because it was just, it was what it was. It was science. What I really liked about research was it was sort of this like level up of where you know, you go to biology class and the professor gives you the lecture. You have the textbook, right? You're not breaking any new ground. It's all Francis and Crick and mitosis and meiosis and whatever. You're just learning it. Now, it's not just rote memorization like vocabulary or something. Like you do have to understand how it works, right? It's not It's not all just, hey, regurgitate this. You have to understand if I were to do this to the islet of Langerhans, what would happen to over here with the adrenal glands, right? There's some understanding of it. What I'm getting at is but there was still someone teaching you this and there was a textbook. It was learning to an extent, but you were learning a sort of the square of acceptable knowledge was cut out. What was really cool about research, as much as I was not interested in aquatic toxicology at all, was that there was no answer. Now, the reason why there was no answer is because who, who cares? But regardless, there was no answer. But I didn't know. It wasn't like, you know, uh, the professor, Dr. B, uh, Dr. B, I, you know, I, I can't figure out why the, the, the fish with, you know, two milligrams per liter of sodium, uh, with sodium are, are surviving. There was no after class, you know, she would say, yeah, me neither. That's why we're doing research. And it was just like, it was like playing a video game on hard. All of a sudden I had to go, oh, there is no textbook. I can't go to the back of the book and find the, the answers to the odd questions. I have to find out what's going on. And it was just this, it was this next level of having to figure something out. And I'll use another analogy real quick. Um, I've used this before. I love playing video games, but my favorite thing to do with video games is I don't read anything about the game. I put the game in, I turn off the tutorial, I turn off the tips, I turn off the little mini map, and I just go in there. I have no idea what the game is about. And it's this sort of 
trial or baptism by fire. I go in there. I'm like, okay, it's okay. We're killing terrorists. Okay, I can get better weapons. Okay, I can figure out the map. Okay, you figure out tactics. But it's so much more fun when you go in and you truly have to learn it all for yourself. So what I'm getting at is, is I get where people kind of fall in line. Like I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I, I do intellectually understand it. Right? You're, you're, you're a doctor. You're doing this. The, you know, the guy at the top says we're providing this. This is what we're providing. But there is a point where you can't go to the textbook. You can't go to the professor. There is a point, you know, there's a point when mom and dad aren't alive anymore. And now you are the adult and you're going, oh, God, I have to figure this out. But you have to look at all of this. And there is no one to go to that has the answer. You have to use your critical mind. You have to go, this VAERS data is looking insane. You have to go, I'm interviewing Dr. Malone, Dr. Kibi. Dr. McCullough, Dr. Hodkinson, Dr. on and on and on. When I interview these people, I get censored from Facebook, from Instagram, from Twitter. I know that there are a couple corporations, AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson, Pfizer, BioNTech, and whatever the other one is, Moderna, that are making record-breaking profits. I know there's a I know there's I know there's precedent for this. This isn't a wild conspiracy. 13 years ago, Pfizer paid out the biggest uh, fine in uh, big pharma history, right? 2.3 billion. 40, 50, 60 years ago, there's the whole thalidomide fiasco. I know that doctors that 9 out of 10 doctors recommend lucky strikes, right? So you start looking at all these things, various data over here, censorship over here, precedent over here, and it does remind me of aquatic toxicology. There's no one to go. There's no professor I can go to and go, Hey, I'm having a real big problem with this. Well, what happens here? They don't know either. And so we're sort of doing this real time research where I'm talking to you, where I talk to McCullough and McCullough goes, Hey, have on this guy. And I talk to you. And so now I'm kind of fleshing out the pediatric side of it, or I can have on Dr. Malone and I can flesh out the DOD funding side of it, or I can talk to uh, Dr. Hatfield or, or uh, Dr. Nass, and I can look at the bioweapon side of it. All these things, it does, and it's not fun, and, it, and it, it hurts. It hurts your brain, but it requires your own critical thinking skills. There's no one to turn to. There's no, there's no cheat sheet. There is no formula in the, in the book. We're creating it, right? Isaac Newton didn't have Newton's laws. He had to make them through observation. There was no, this has been fact-checked, or this is labeled misinformation, no, it's just science. You just pick it up and you go, huh, an object you know, staying still will stay still or an object in motion will stay in motion until another force acts on it or equal and opposite reactions. I know I'm rambling now, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at is we have to put on our big boy pants and it's not biology. It's not biology class. We're doing research and we have the little pipettes and the little fish and the plastic beakers. We have to figure it out. And the idea of squashing anyone that has their own working theory is insane to me because right now everything is a working theory. I don't even really know where I went with that, but yeah. yeah so, so, you know, in all, here's, here, you know, it, it brings up some challenges because when you say, um, you know, if you think for ourselves, um, you know, physicians, we, we, we're a big brotherhood of, and sisterhood of mentoring. Okay. So we, we reach when, when I don't have the answer, yes. I reach out to someone else that I trust, um, would have the answer that has, you know, is, is delving into studies and, and so forth. Um, and so there are mentors, you know, um, I reach out to, you know, the infectious disease expert, I reach out to the pulmonary expert and, and hematological expert, right? Because I trust them. Okay. Well, here, the problem, the, the, the challenges that I'm, I'm facing is I'm not so when, when those, those folks seem to be violating kind of the, the, the norms. Um, and, and I don't want to be accusatory. Sure. I'm just saying it, it, it looks, it, it makes me worry that they're being violated because, because the fundamentals, so if I were to talk to an epidemiologist or an infectious disease person, you know, the fundamentals of, of resistant organisms, you know, we were taught, we were, you know, and studies proven that if you use an, an inferior antibiotic, um, like, or you're using an antibiotic that is used too frequently on, on to try to 
to try to eradicate organisms that they're not eradicating. Um, they're not. So you're going to breed resistance. It's called ecological pressure. You just you force when you weaken a virus. You know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And it, that adage applies very much to all forms of life, even little microorganisms that can, you know, um, can um, mute, um, multiply at astronomically logarithmic rates, right? And so what we're doing is we're in this to put flesh on it is how is it that we're okay with uh, continuing to force a vaccine that is obviously not working? I mean, I mean, not, yes, it does. I think I think I can. I mean, I can agree that that people are getting less sick. I, I'm not going to, and, and people at high risk are being helped. I'm not going to come against that. My problem, you know, there's a risk benefit ratio there. People that are older at high risk, just like the chem, chemotherapy thing, we're not going to give a kid chemotherapy if he doesn't need it, right? We're gonna we're not going to give medications that they don't need. We always we've always done that. We've not given medications that aren't necessary. The vaccine falls in this for children. That's my challenge. I just don't understand how my colleagues in the in the Mecca, in the hospitals, and, and the people that are making the decisions going up and up and up, whether it's Dr. Fauci or or his his group of decision makers or or what. When it comes down to children, okay, every if everybody agrees, CDC and, and we all agree that one, the vaccine does not stop you from getting the getting the illness. I mean. You know, Omicron is, has proven that, that, that everybody, everybody's getting it, vaccinated and, and unvaccinated. Admit it, okay? If that's the truth, the vaccine, vaccine's not working. Well, you got to get boosters. Well, you know, you can't time this thing, okay? We can't booster. We can't just keep on giving boosters every, what are we going to do, every six months, every three months, every two months, every week? We're going to get boosters to try to keep up with it. And can technology keep up with a bo- making a boost when they're just really making this, it's, they're not making different um, reactive boosters. They're just using the same one. Yeah. Okay. So again, we're we're. I, I say to my colleagues with children, they don't have. Okay, they they can get infected with the virus, and they don't have a high morbidity or mortality. Okay, they can transfer. They can transfer the. Everybody can transfer the virus, vaccinated or not. Okay, so if you if it doesn't stop you from getting it and it doesn't stop you from giving it, but it makes you a little less sick, we'll put that. I mean, put that to children. Children, children don't get sick with this virus at this point in time. They were, but they do. They have the ability to develop immunity. There's something about them. They're, they're, they they just don't get sick, and there's a reason for it. And then throw all that together with. We know that this vaccine is not perfectly safe, okay? And it's not 100% safe. So that means every one of my colleagues, we have to look at this and say, you cannot sit there and say it is perfectly safe, okay? Tell that to, to my next door neighbor whose daughter um, now has to get a heart, a teenage daughter got the vaccine and now has to get a heart transplant, Jeez. you know, secondary to secondary to myocardial um damage caused right right after the vaccine you know tell it to my nursing friend who got the vaccine you know two times in a row and and right six days after after the vaccine was given both times developed a horrendous rash and then blood pressure spiked and when her blood pressure was stable for four years now she's on three blood pressure medications to to keep her stable i mean it's just not perfectly safe and that just stands to reason that we have to look at it more clo- more closely, and we can't be giving it to children when we don't have long-term data. And I just say shame on shame on my colleagues to, to not to not look at that. I mean, it, it's it's beyond me to understand it. Yeah, I mean, it you know, it's it's evil can persist when good men do nothing or women. It's like I mean, no one no one no one wants to stand up. Like I I, I would imagine. Probably a lot of patriotism, but I imagine there was a lot of guys that that went over to to, to Europe in World War II. They didn't want to do it. They probably wanted to play baseball, right? I mean, there are a lot of guys that probably wanted to start a band, but instead went to Vietnam. It's and I'm not to, trying to compare those to here. It's we're not we're not doing that. But it's it's uh it's a admittedly that's a dramatic example. Maybe I shouldn't have used that 
no one wants to be the guy that stands up and goes, Hey man, I don't, I don't think this is right. This is no one wants to be the stick in the mud. No one wants to be the friend that goes, Hey dude, you, you've been drinking. You're supposed to be our DD. Let's just get an Uber. Oh, oh, what you think we're going to get pulled? And it's like, Hey man, like, I I don't, I don't want to be that guy. This isn't, this isn't right. This isn't, you know, you don't, you don't want to be the loser that points it out. But the reality is, is, Man, you have to stand up because if if you're not going to do it, then no one else will. And you, if you know it's not right, and you know that there's a financial incentive for this to keep going, then these are private corporations, and I'm all for them. I'm not trying to spit some commie stuff. I'm all for it. But man, we 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 know that we've been lied to in the past, right? I mean, we we just withdrew from the Middle East. What did we accomplish there? Did we find the WMDs? Oh, we took out Saddam and bin Laden. Now there's no more terrorism? I mean, we've been lied to before. We know that's the case. We know there's collusion. We know there are monopolies. But all of a sudden now, you just can't question it. You can't bring anything up. And if you do, you're a conspiracy theorist who's spreading misinformation, which also, side note, when has that ever been an issue in history? Misinformation. No, when you go to the store and you see the National Enquirer and it says Marilyn Monroe is still alive and she's an alien, you don't you don't go get rid of that misinformation. No, you're an adult with a functioning brain or not even adult. When you're in middle school, you can look at it and go, yeah, that, that that's stupid. There's never been a time where all of a sudden we have to protect everyone from misinformation. I mean, my logic is this, is when people say, oh, Joe Rogan's spreading misinformation. He interviewed Dr. Peter McCullough. Or Joe Rogan's spreading misinformation because he had, he had on Dr. Robert Malone. What misinformation is there? And if you say that it's dangerous, my next question is, is were you tricked individ- Were you tricked specifically? You know, theoretical person, Bob or Sue, were you tricked? Did they tell you not to get the vaccine and you fell for it and then you got COVID and now you got long COVID? Everyone to a T will say, no, I didn't get tricked. Well, why didn't you, why didn't you get tricked? Because I saw through it. I know they're a huckster. I know they're lying. I know they're anti-vaxxers. Well, if you don't fall for the misinformation, the dangerous misinformation, how come other people fall for it? You know, I you know I can watch a scary movie as a kid because I know it's not real. But do I try to hide the other kids from the scary movie? Well, no, because they have functioning brains too. So everyone that says it's dangerous misinformation, you should be banned, that it's costing lives. Were you tricked individually? No, not me. I have a brain. I saw through that far right wing misinformation. Then how come everyone else also can't see through it? And the answer is, is because deep down, they think they know better than everyone else. I have to protect the layman, the stupid, the the middle class blue collar where I have to protect them because I can see through the misinformation. And what that is, is an admission that you think you know what is best for the layman. And thinking that you know what is best for the layman and thus gatekeeping and curating the information that they can access is far worse than any misinformation. It's There's sort of this meta theme. It's like closing yourself off from the world to protect your immune system. But the reality is, is you are now more fragile than ever before. You have to be able to be hit with misinformation. You got to look at a story. You got to fall for it. And you got to have that feeling of going, oh, God, I retweeted that. And it turned out to be fake. Like, you have to feel it in your gut. And it feels like shit. Excuse my French. It feels like shit. And you go, oh, man. And you get embarrassed. And you have people calling you out. But now, the next time you see someone tweet something, whether it's the president or a celebrity or an athlete, it's kind of like an immune response. You have some uh, T-cells. You're going... Hold on a second. Let me let me fact check this, you know. Oh, what what's today? Today's April 1st. Hold on. This might be a fake news article. So you need to be able to watch Joe Rogan interview Dr. Malone. Or you need to be able to watch Tommy Kerrigan interview Dr. Steve Keeby. It's you have to look at it. And maybe you get maybe you get had. Maybe you do. But you have to be able to navigate through it. You have to be able to know, hey man, sometimes when you're taking a test and you know. There, there was a time when I remember taking a test for organic chemistry, summer 2012. And I was looking at one question and finally I went up to the professor and I was like, I, I, don't, think this, I don't think this question is like worded correctly. And he looked at it and was like, oh, you're right. 
like sometimes you are right. You have to have those critical thinking skills. It's the whole, if your best friend jumped off a bridge, would you follow him? Are we all going to walk right off the cliff? You have to be able to look at things. There's always going to be misinformation. Hey, I guarantee you Hitler denied that he was about to invade Poland. You need to be able to determine that with your own mind. Not every girlfriend is the one for you. You need to be able to figure out who's unfaithful, who, who's, who's not being loyal to you. Not every, not every financial investment opportunity that pops up is a, is a golden opportunity. You might get scammed. You, you got to know that. Yeah, and, and it's not just that, Tommy. You, you, you've got to you, you got to start scrutinizing the messenger. Yeah. Okay, so we, we, you know the messenger. If the messenger is, you know, you know, if the messenger is a is a pharmaceutical company yeah. that you know that that has an incentive for every every product that's put out in formulary to make billions, thirty five to sixty billion dollars. That um, you know, you got to wonder about. You just got to. We just have to ask, you know, about the messenger, okay? If that's the messenger and, and, and that pharmacy company, the same company that's been, you know, sued multiple times, like you said, said for, for billions of dollars, they, there's been many FDA-approved products that have been taken off, quickly taken off the market. So, you know, it's not to question, it should not be um, suppressed, and uh, these are, let's look at the messenger, the, you know, do you trust, I mean, so your girl, the, the girl you, um, you know, dated, you know, cheated on you five times and says the sixth time, I promise, I promise, I promise, um, you know, and maybe they are, they are sincere, maybe. but the fact that you question it, you're allowed to, okay, they've, they've done you dirty. And, uh, you know, I think we have to admit that the pharmacy companies have, have done some dirty things. And the thing is that they don't right now, We've not only given them, it's, it's like your girlfriend that has no account. There's absolutely no accountability, sure. right? There's absolutely zero. There is nothing to look at these companies and say, are you making sure you're doing it right? And listen, we all know what money does to each one of us, okay? Seek it in our heart. Money just is a powerful, powerful convictor and, and, and winner. I mean, we, we, we have, it's, it changes lives. It changes our hearts. And, you know, if you're throwing billions upon dollars on, on, on people, you know, a decision makes a difference there. You know, people are just aren't so ready to just make the right decision. How hard is it to be courageous to, you know, to step up? I mean, in my own life, I understand it. I understand it's hard to be courageous uh, to stand up against something, um, especially when the dollar is, is waved over your head. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, the, it's, it's the, the father of compromise. And so... I mean, again, back to it, trusting the messenger, you know, do we trust it's right to question. They've got, there's a lot of money going on there. Trusting the messenger. We know, you know, everybody, I don't know if people know this, but, but the, the pharmacy companies, they stand to, to gain on every product that's put out there. Right. And so they, they have, they hire people to, to, um, to look at studies and create a study to eliminate any variables that is going to come against their product and, and to, to find the demographic that's most favorable. Okay, they find the demographic that works. And I think it's, it's okay for me to challenge and question the studies that were done on this vaccine. Okay, the, the, the lion's share of the people that were in the study were healthy people from 25 years to 60 years old. That was the lion's share. And so we know that that there's, you know, those people aren't going to get sick fast. Those people aren't going to have big, significant reactions. And those are the people that tested. They didn't test the 70 and 80 year olds um, in this study. Okay. So they, they have selective bias to create, you know, the result that they're going to, that's going to make them make it work. And I cannot believe that we as a country, as a world have looked at a study that's that had 40,000 people in it. And that's it. That determined everything. A study with 40,000 people using a, a, a test, a PCR test, that had amplifications that were way more than the normal to create positives. They were inaccurate. The, the, the PCR tests, you know, and I challenged you fact checkers, tell me I'm wrong. These, these tests, everybody knows they were inaccurate. We admit that they were inaccurate. We admit that, that the, um, the, the study is, is small. But in the face of an emergency, we just went right after it, like like throwing water on a grease fire. You know, there's a panic, and so I'm I'm super challenged by all this, and 
And if I have anything to say, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to, um, you know, shame my colleagues, but I'm trying to say, come on, look at this stuff and, and tell me why, tell me why I'm wrong. Don't just tell me I'm a conspiracy guy. Give me a reason why I'm wrong. Don't just tell me that you're just listening to the guy up in uh, the, the the guy in the ivory tower and you have to do what they told you. I, we don't don't tell me that. I mean, look at this stuff critically and tell me why it doesn't make sense when one plus one equals two. Don't tell me one plus one equals three. Yeah, it's and I know I know you got to go. It's we'll wrap it up in a minute. But yeah, I mean. You can't just follow orders, right? Because next thing you know, you're speaking with a German accent and I was just following all those, right? That's not a viable defense. And you can't just attack someone and say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, no. Tell me why I'm wrong. Don't, don't, ha, I'm not even going to address that. Well, if it's so simple that I'm wrong, tell me why I'm wrong. If I tell you one plus one equals three, you don't say, Tommy, I'm not even going to give you the time of day. No, because it's so simple for you to get two marbles and go, here's one and here's another. How many are there? Two. End of story. There we go. No labeling misinformation. No saying you're a conspiracy theorist. No deplatforming you. You just shoot it down. But if you just have to sit there, you're a conspiracy theorist or I'm not even going to give you the time of day. Well, no, just answer the question. Just just tell me why. Just tell me why I'm wrong. Right? You, it's It's a complete, again, it's another admission of they don't have any answer to you. And I mean, we know, we we know, if if Exxon Mobil says there is no such thing as climate change, I mean, come on, we know that there's an incentive there. If Elon Musk, who's selling electric cars, says there is such thing as climate change, we know there's incentive there, right? And I mean, lastly, if Dick Cheney, as vice president and former CEO of Halliburton, says we have got to go to Iraq, hey man. There's some incentive there. Just use your own mind and follow your heart. Do what you know is right and just seek the truth. If someone's trying to censor you and they don't want to debate you, man, there's something they're they're trying to hide something. And I think I don't know where the quote's from. I think it's Charlie Brown. I'm probably wrong. I have no idea. If something can be destroyed by the truth, then it deserves to be destroyed by the truth. That's just that's just what it is. But I know you got to go. Dr. Steve Kibbe. I will put your Spotify music in the description. I will text you when this episode is up. The Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey, Spotify, all that good stuff. I would love to have you on again sometime. Thank you so much for coming on here, man. Thank you for giving me an hour of your time. Thank you, Tommy. Absolutely. Take care. God bless. God bless America. Stay safe, everyone. Do the right thing.